Welcome to episode 46 of the Startup Microdose podcast with me, Ed Stevens, and my able co-host Oliver Jones. This episode is with David Gurley, CEO and founder of business messaging unicorn Symphony. David is one of the pioneers of IP communications. In short, one of the reasons why platforms like Zoom even exist. Starting his career as an engineer for France Telecom, David has dedicated his life to helping the world connect through the internet, a career that has seen him work with Bill Gates and beyond. The episode is a real journey, and by the end you will see how much of himself David has given so that we can enjoy some of the connectivity we experience today. David was in Hong Kong at the time of recording, so we apologise for any communication issues, but without further ado, we bring you David Gurley. Hi, everyone. We're joined by David Gurley. David, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. You're so current role is CEO and founder of Symphony, um, but you've also been credited as one of the pioneers of IP communications. So I guess there's a, a big backstory to what led you to become the CEO of Symphony, and I would love you to be able to give our guests a run through. So um, please do, do give us some background on that. Uh, with pleasure. Do we have a couple of days to go through this? Because it's going to take a while. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I, write a book about it. Um, I think, the, first of all, I've been always passionate about uh, human interactions. Uh, you know, I was a son of two diplomats, and, uh, and I was so, you know, how much communication affected uh, the way we feel, the way we think, the way we, um, you know, we set policies. And, and so somehow, um, you know, it, it was obvious to me that one day I was going to become a telecommunication engineer, period. That, that was it, you know. I didn't even have to think about it. I, I knew it even when I was a kid. Actually, the moment I knew about that was I was about nine years old. Um, I went with my mom into this uh, this kind of universal uh, exposition thing of technology, and a Japanese firm entity um, had this uh, video phone, uh, like a very clunky black and white video phone. And, um, and it's funny that, you know, we are using a form of a video phone right now, which is on our laptop. But at that time, you had a special room, um, you know, with a special device. And my mom sat at another room and she video phoned me. And, uh, and I was literally, my eyes popped and I was like, wow, this is the thing that is the future. And, and so, um, you know, several years later, I ended up becoming a telecommunication engineer. And, uh, and very quickly, I, I realized that the way, um, you know, we were interacting during the infrastructure that we were using, it was going to be impossible to uh, fulfill that dream of, uh, you know, the video phone everywhere. And, um, and the reason was because the, the technology that is used, it's called circuit switch network, um, that we still rely on for our, you know, landlines, uh, was not um capable of uh, carrying you know high bandwidth uh type applications like video and um you know it was the era of beginning of the internet uh, so uh i graduated in 1995 so you know i i, I saw uh, in cern uh you know the first uh, uh in instance of html and documents and we start using it at france telecom uh, where i used to work and, um, and then one day, you know, I had this, this crazy idea that, you know, why I cannot carry a voice packet, uh, you know, using internet as opposed to just 
you know, using documentation about that. So at that time, I was uh, working for European Telecommunication Standards Institute uh, called Etsy. Uh, it was in charge of um, standardizing all the interfaces so that different equipments and different networks can interconnect with each other. And so it had this very strong power of setting a technology agenda of uh, you know what you need to develop as um, as a carrier and as an operator and and as a network equipment manufacturer and and so I, I was really kind of you know in the heart of uh, how you set policies uh, for um, intercommunications and um, but I wasn't really happy about what was going on because I was seeing that it was never never going to uh, happening because the the network that we were relying on. Uh, will never be upgraded in time uh, in order to cater to all of these use cases that we are right now experiencing uh, together. So um, then uh, one day, you know, I, I, I tweaked my uh, my big computer of that time, and I had an assistant sitting at the next office, and I installed in her uh, on her PC, you know, a piece of software I did, and on my PC the same piece of software, and um, and you know I was in my office um, and. I, the microphone, there was no camera at that time, and I said, I said to her, you know, hello, Laurence. Her, her name was Laurence, and um, and you know, I was like trying to see whether she was going to react because I thought that you know she was being really surprised about this because she didn't know that I set this up, you know, behind her back, and uh, nothing happened. I said, damn it, you know, I screwed something up. I look at my setup and it works, so I go to her uh, office, just literally three meters. You know, just behind my door and and at that time you know i'm behind her and uh, and it says hello Laurence, but me talking from the computer so you think about for the first experiment <laughs> and obviously Laurence picked up you know what's going on you are here this computer is talking to me and it's you talking so that was like um something really fun but I knew at that time it was possible. Uh, and, um, and that really uh, gave me hope um, that we could actually uh, use a different technology. Um, so IP communications, as you uh, rightly introduced, Ed. And, uh, and then from there, we, we could get something. Um, I had very funny stories about that. But the most interesting one is at that time, um, the whole telecommunication industry was the equivalent of you know the Facebook and uh, and the social networks of today, so it was the hottest industry of, of all time at the time, and the valuations were crazy. So we are really talking about the heydays of telecommunication. Internet was booming. You know, it was it was really something big. And uh, to cater to that, um, big corporate corporations, you know, France Telecom, AT and T, everybody around the world was investing something called ATM, which is asynchronous transfer mode. And what it meant said is that instead of having a synchronous communication, so all circuit switch networks have to synchronize themselves in order to carry the voice in a, in a real time, which is you know about 125 milliseconds, less than 300 milliseconds technically. Um, they invented this called this thing called ATM, and uh, an ATM was supposed to be the future internet. It was designed to be the internet. You have to realize that the telcos have produced the internet on the on paper. Mm. And it, it was called Intelligent Network. And we were all working feverishly on that. And, uh, and billions of dollars were being invested at that time. And so, you know, here comes this, this crazy French guy, okay? 
you know, setting the policies in Europe, which is a pretty large, you know, region in the world. And, uh, and I'm going there and I say to everyone who is investing in this that ATM is DOA. Uh, you know what DOA means, right? Dead, Dead on arrival, arrival. yeah. Hmm. Absolutely. And then I was, you know, an ex-France Telecom guy and, uh, and France Telecom is one of the fathers of ATM. So there were two fathers, you know, one was Bell Labs in under AT&T and another one was France Telecom. And, um, and I was literally destroying the years of research and years of everything that everybody has invested. And, uh, and I managed to stop uh, the entire train of investment that was going in ATM. Hmm. And, uh, <laughs> and, and the benefit of IP communications. And at that time, it wasn't working. Let's be clear about it. That 15 second delay, you know, was, was you know, maybe two second delay, but it was absolutely not possible to work. And so I go to European Commission, uh, which is a big body, and, and, and I basically do my speech and I say to the, all these telecommunication executives around, the, around this, this uh, European Commission that the future is internet and, uh, and it will be owned by whoever owns the computing device. At that time, it was Microsoft. And, uh, and ATM was never going to happen for the following reasons. So they voted and I won. And, uh, and so, and that automatically obviously uh, made me the enemy number one of, of France Telecom at that time. And, uh, <laughs> and probably Ben Labs guys. But the funny story comes after that. So the meeting is over and the commissioner, you know, the guy who is elected, comes to me, you know, old guy, you know, taps on my shoulder. Very good job, Monsieur Guerlain. Very good job. He was an Italian guy. And, you know, what you've done is, is really visionary. But tell me something. Yes, sir. You know, ATM, it's automated teller machines, right? And, uh, and I said, <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, no, no. I said, no, no, we didn't talk about ATM. Uh, <laughs> so the guy voted on <laughs> this technology. He was the thing. <laughs> I didn't even know that I was talking about asynchronous transfer mode. And, and you know, I was like saying, oh, my God, these are the guys who are setting up policies uh, for, you know, for us. So the lesson I learned from that was that, A, if you had conviction on something um, and, you know, you, you gather the right momentum and the right information and the right partners and allies, you know, you could prevail. Uh, and, and nothing could stop you if you believed in something that was the right thing. And obviously, I turned out to be right. I could have been wrong. Um, but uh, but that, that really changed me and that really changed the, um, I would say, the perspective of so many companies that were investing in the old technology and suddenly everybody just jumped on IP communications and, and the whole industry was picked up. And was this the um, your belief in the the strength of the internet for a communication platform and as you've alluded to microsoft did that pave your way to move to microsoft because um it was said that you were then the person who introduced real-time communication to them yeah i was so angry with microsoft you have no idea <laughs> <laughs> i was like you know think about it at this time this is windows 95 era okay and um the internet is like they were doing a private internet. And if you remember, I mean, if you were to look at the history, there was AOL, okay, mm. and there was MSN, and uh, and you know, and then the internet was coming. 
And so the Internet Explorer, et cetera, was just a very, very early day um, of, uh, of, you know, the future of Microsoft with Microsoft. And on the operating system of Windows, the whole ecosystem around that and the software around this, the, the, the code they produced, the, the, the experience they delivered was, was really, really bad. And, you know, everything I was evangelizing was actually being destroyed by the delivery of the software in Windows and the hardware that was, you know, the compact, the dial, the gateways of, of, of that time, the computers at that time. And, and I was so angry because they didn't get it. And, uh, and it was the future and that future was really bright. And, uh, and so, um, you know, at that time I, I worked for Vocal Tech and it was in Israel and, and we really worked very hard to make this thing work. Um, and, and it's as seamless as possible. It, it actually worked really well, but we had all these challenges from Microsoft. And besides, it was super hard to distribute an application at that time. So imagine today you just go and click and you have Riverside, bam, you know, we are up and running. At that time, there's no way you can download anything on the internet. Uh, it will take forever. I mean, I used to have email FTP gateways. So in order for me to go to email and to FTP server and, and download Kermit protocol. So, I mean, you know, we are talking about archaism. And, uh, and so... Wokutek had to convince the physical distributors, like the Fry's uh, that closed, unfortunately, in the US recently, um, to basically have a shelf for Wokutek iPhone so that they could actually be sold to people like you and I, and we'll, down, you know, we'll get it, we'll put the floppy disk and, and install it. That's just how it, it used to be at that time. And it was very expensive, it was completely inefficient, you couldn't get an update, et cetera, et cetera. So Microsoft controlled the channel. And that was the second reason I was super upset. And so, you know, I'm doing all this work. And at that time, I go and see Microsoft guys. There is two guys, I still remember, Toby uh, Nixon and Max Morris. And they were representing Microsoft in all these conversations. I said, guys, I want to come and work for Microsoft. It's important that you guys get it right. You haven't given, you know, you didn't do the right thing. And so get me to talk to people at Microsoft so, you know, I can go there. And this is how it started. And, um, you know, I interviewed, I went to Seattle, I interviewed um, two teams. I got an offer from two teams and I ended up picking Windows networking because I felt that that was the division of Microsoft that had the biggest leverage for the technology that I was really trying to promote. And, um, and that's the reason I joined Microsoft. And obviously we talk about the rest, but um, that changed a lot, uh, pretty much everything actually. But in, in no finer point, what would they have done had you not gone on a crusade to try and, and steer their ship that way? I mean, like, was there anybody in the company who believed in what you're doing? I mean, e even up to the top, I mean, Bill Gates has historically been quite a visionary, but had was there no top-down in initiative to try and value communication across the internet? No, no, <clears throat> there was nothing. I mean, there was net meeting, uh, I would say, the, uh, the historical... Um, lousy software of that time, um, mm. which was a, um, a licensed software from Intel. So the, the company that was promoting IP communications on computer was not Microsoft, it was Intel. So Intel needed to sell more processors and, uh, and they were looking for things that will generate, need more power. Um, <laughs> power. And, uh, and they had a 500 people team, um, which was actually developing a technology called at that time, H323 
which is a protocol um, which is like WebRTC of of of, uh, of that time. And um, so they licensed that technology um, along with Cisco. I did some part to Microsoft. So Microsoft basically took the technology from Intel and Cisco, packaged it, and built this thing called NetMeeting. And at that time, NetMeeting was mostly used for porn. And, and so you had this um, uh, this directory services that you know, could find each other. You know, you need to have the IP address of somebody to talk to. And um, and who knows who my I mean, can you go to the console and type IP config to get your IP address? I'm sure nobody knows about it now, and even less than uh, back then. And so you had this directory services, which was run by <laughs> was run by people. You know, this is the equivalent of the the porn services uh, of today. And um, and and they were basically advertising all the services that that you could uh, you know connect to. And um, it wasn't taken seriously by anyone. And and the software was using the wrong technology. So I arrived to Microsoft. I saw that, and it was a different team. So there were like two initiatives, three initiatives going on at Microsoft on real-time communication at that time. One was NetMeeting team. The other one was Exchange Conferencing Server. And the third one was, um, you know, TAPI, uh, Telephony API. And under TAPI, um, you know, they, they licensed the technology from Dialogic, um, et cetera. So I landed in that team, the TAPI team. And the, the, the first second morning, I had the architectural review, and then I resigned. I went to the VP who hired me. His name is Jawad. Um, I said, Jawad, um, I made a mistake. Um, this is not the company that I should work for. You guys don't know what the fuck you guys know about. And <laughs> I'm leaving. Um, you know, and he looked at me, started like, "Who's this guy?" You know, just I hired him like you know a few weeks ago. He's here and he's telling me that we are all wrong. I said, he said, explain, go. And so I went to the whiteboard and I explained it. And uh, he said, okay, from now on, you report to me directly. Mm. And whatever the hell you want, but do it. I was like, really? Yeah, just do it. So um, three months later, there was no exchange conference server, no net meeting, no TAPI, no other projects. They all moved under me. I became the head of that team. And, um, and all it happened during a demo session with Bill Gates. Um, so Jawad, um, and the way Bill Gates operates is he's got this very, I would say, high stake reviews. Um, you in general either survive it or you die. And um, and he, he is not as visionary as you think he is, but he is extremely curious and he's really, really to embrace, um, you know, many, many ideas from lots of smart people who work for, for him. And anyway, um, it's my turn to, to present what we are doing. Um, and I go to this meeting with uh, a demo that we have built in three weeks. So I install, like I've done with Lawrence, you know, the earlier uh, scenario, mm -hmm. a, a, in the boardroom of Microsoft, a special PC. In this case, I have a camera, uh, microphone speakers, and I put a friend of, I mean, a colleague of mine, his name is Donald Rule, um, into another room farther, farther away. And I said, Don, you are going to be the counterpart during the demo. Um, no problem, David, I'll do the counterpart. So my turn, we start, hey, my name is David Yone, blah, blah, I'm a French guy who's doing this. And uh, before we start, I want to do a demo. Bill says, okay. Start up, we walk, we go to the uh, demo portion of the room. And I say, well, uh, Bill, what we're going to do right now is a real-time communication uh, experience um, that we've been working on. So at that time, Don, 
starts talking and like I'm talking to you right now. And we are talking in a much bigger, uh, you know, here the, the, the screen size is relatively small. Um, you know, it's, it's like XVGA kind of a screen size. And, and I used at that time a new technology that uh, Microsoft didn't have, but I, I borrowed from other people. And, um, and it was basically high uh, bandwidth um, codecs that really, really delivered CD quality audio and, um, and at that time, HD quality video. And so we are talking about, you know, in 2000, year 2000, where none of these things that we experienced today were, were, you know, available. And Bill, you know, sees Don talking and who's, who's explaining kind of what's going on behind the scenes. And he looks at me, Bill looks at me and he says, yeah, I mean, this is all nice, but this is all recorded. I want, I want, I want to see the real experience. And at that time, Bill says, no, Bill, this is not recorded. This is real. And then <laughs> <laughs> you know, Bill is startled. He, he looks at this. He says, wow, this is really possible? That's it. That, that, that sealed the deal. Um, and, uh, and so we go back to the, to the boardroom. And, uh, and then from there, you know, I present kind of what we've been working on, what we want to do, and et cetera. And, and the same evening, I got everything I wanted. Um, and that's how RTC team was born at Microsoft. Amazing. And, and, and so then in a really, so I definitely want to talk about Symphony, and I know you've got a finite amount of time, but then you actually went to work for Skype eventually prior to Microsoft, then purchasing it shortly thereafter. Mm -hmm. Now, was there yeah. a tie-in there between the teams you knew at Microsoft, or you know, did you... Did that make sense to you as well, the acquisition of Skype by Microsoft? I mean, why hadn't they done it themselves in the 10 years between the two events? <laughs> I have, uh, I don't know if I can say those things, but some funny stories. Um, so first of all, the team that acquired Skype is the same team that I built. So it was my team. Uh, so we've been talking for some time together. And, um, you know, we knew uh, each other really well and we, we shared a common vision of making this reality. But uh, there was the enterprise team, uh, which was called Microsoft Link at that time. And then there was the MSN team, uh, which was still running uh, Live Messenger, so MSN Live Messenger. Okay, so there was like a two, two string. I always fought this at, at Microsoft, saying that you know it's not good to separate consumer from enterprise because we can leverage you know, the two things. And, and, and Steve never understood that, so he, he eventually uh, separated these two, two teams. So um, Steve comes to uh, Skype's headquarters in Palo Alto and we have a meeting. And, uh, and all the people that I know, plus Steve and Steve knows me. And um, when I say to Steve, I say, Steve, I don't understand why you're here. I mean, you got MSN Live Messenger, you got half a billion people on it. And it was at that time 500 million people. Um, in a pretty successful network. Um, you got Microsoft Link here and, and we are Skype. I mean, you know, uh, why? You know, why, why, you, why you want a deal with us? I mean, at that time, it was a partnership deal, not an, not an acquisition one. He said, Skype is a verb. You know, we Skype. Mm. Um, Skype is a phenomenon. Skype has, has really... Um, establish itself as, as human communications on the internet. 
and and this is an asset that I think it's extremely valuable. And um, and so obviously that's what we believed in. We were really six weeks away from IPO, and uh, and we were preparing for for the roadshow, and 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 you know the deal obviously comes forward, um, and we end up selling the company to to Microsoft. Um, and I believe that. Um, if indeed this is what Steve wanted, which is acquired an asset to 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 be part of people's people's life every day, um, I think it was the right thing to do. And I, you know, the eight and a half billion dollar price he paid was not too expensive, given you know how crazy other prices are. You know, Skype was making one point two billion dollar of revenue, so it's roughly eight times the revenue, which wasn't a big, you know, like Slack got paid thirty times the revenue. I mean, you know, we are talking about. Uh, something reasonable here. So, um, in that in that context, I think uh, it absolutely made sense. Um, you know what they did with Skype is obviously a different story, and I decided not to continue. You know, I, I did not want to be at Microsoft, and I really felt that um, you know it was time to do something else. And, uh, and I didn't know at that time that you know Symphony was going to be it. I had no idea. Uh, all I knew that you know I wasn't going to be part of Microsoft again. Have you confirmed to your convictions there? Um, so yes, then actually lead us into Symphony. So you, you, then what happened that led to that? That you then taking that challenge on? I took you know four six months off uh, because I couldn't work with anyone because I had non compete. Uh, so um, and um, and I used that time to talk to a bunch of people. So I got a bunch of CEO offers left and right. And I talked to all of them, and, and it was really hard actually for me to subscribe to somebody else's idea. You know, it was a founder here and a founder there. They did something, um, they brought the company to some level, uh, but it wasn't going to the next level. So they want to bring an external CEO to take it to the next level. And that was pretty much, you know, typical Silicon Valley recipe. And, um, and I couldn't be the owner of somebody else's idea, I realized that, you know what? It has to be mine. If it is not mine, I can't be the CEO. Now, the question is that, can I be the CEO? Do I have the courage to be the CEO? And I didn't. Um, I was afraid to, to fail. I was afraid to let my family down. Um, and uh, so I accepted an offer um, to join Avaya as a head of strategy and uh, investor relations. Um, and um, it was the same company that has hired me to uh, to work for Skype Silverlake, a private equity company, who um, also hired me at Avaya, you know, to uh, to basically make help Avaya to to do whatever they need to do. And it is during that time in Avaya where I was making really uh, good money, okay, um, more than what I was making at Skype. Very comfortable life. And I start to saying to myself, no, hold a second, you know, there is something wrong with it. You know, <laughs> this, this isn't what you want. You know, this is not about money. This is not about comfort. This isn't about time. It's about fulfillment of a dream. And, um, and then I realized that I had something that I want to do, um, but I was afraid of it. And I was kind of burying it, you know, in the back of my mind because I didn't have the courage to do it. So I went to see my family because I analyzed why I was so scared. Um, and I realized that it was because I was afraid of letting them down. And, you know, if something were to happen, I could never be hired again. 
you know, what will happen to them. You know, the kids were still small, a lot of uh, things that were unsettled yet. And so I explained to them what was going on. You know, I said, look, we are making good life. We have everything we want, but I am really unhappy. And this is the reason why I'm unhappy. And, um, and what I'm seeking is this adventure, but I can't do it knowing the risks that exist. Um, and, uh, and so what do you guys think? And uh, they said, we are with you, dad, and we are with you, my husband. Um, and, uh, and so that gave me the excuse that I, I was actually looking for what <laughs> they said, no, you can't do this. You know, we need our life, our quality of life. Do this. They said, yes. I said, holy shit, I have to do something. Uh, then I said, oh, I have one more thing. So I start talking to my boss at Avaya and other people who I knew, you know, are, are smart people about my idea. And I was hoping they would say, it's a stupid idea, don't do it. And then they said, no, we'll invest in your idea. I said, okay, now I really have to do this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was the time of uh, the social, the explosion of social network. It was a time that Facebook exploded, Twitter exploded. It was a time where everything was public. And I was really, I am really a private person. I absolutely value the privacy. And I was like at odds with that thing, okay? And, and in my view, there was a need for the privacy to, to exist. And, and I was with my, my oldest son, Vincent, and, and how he was interacting with his friends on Facebook because we were friends. Um, and I was shaking my head. I said, this is, this is not, there is something wrong with it. So I went to him, I went to see him. Um, I said, Vincent, you know, how do you engage with your, your mom, you know, with, with your friends? Is Facebook is your vehicle? He said, no. I said, really? And why? Dad, it's not private. You know, it's not private. Everything I do on Facebook is public. No, for things that are really intimate, I use SMS. At that time, it was an iMessage or the first version of iMessage or something like that. And I said, huh, interesting, interesting. And so that started to trigger this idea that actually, despite that Facebook provided everything uh, that you needed to interact with someone, there was something that they were not going to cater to due to their philosophy. And you know they hadn't yet acquired WhatsApp at that time, and Facebook Messenger wasn't really what it is today. And um, and so um, I said, okay, you know we can build something that is ultra secure, that's super private, this is super confidential. And I know security inside out. This is where I was born. And, um, and so uh, I start looking for funding and people. And, and that's how Symphony started. How, how would you describe Symphony? What's the sort of the elevator pitch for it? Is it do you want to do it back then or now? Because it's a very different. Hmm. Uh, it's the same technology, but it's a very different use case. Back then, it was all about um, you know, private communications that will remain private and uh, with the highest reliability that you can always rely on. That's really what it was. Um, it, you know, it was a form of WhatsApp. Um, you know, but back then WhatsApp wasn't end to end encrypted. Um, you know, it didn't have uh, the privacy capabilities that that we invented back then, and um, and it is what it was. Um, 
and nobody believed in it. You know, I, I, I talked to 30 different VCs and they all looked at, oh, it's a very nice idea. I will get back to you. Um, and, uh, and obviously they all turned me down except one. And, uh, and so, and by the way, all you need is one. And, you, know, once mm. you, have one you know, you know that at least you have, uh, you have a hook. So, um, that's how we started. And the company was named Perzo at that time. And uh, Perzo, because I wanted to make it personal and I couldn't buy personal.com or perso.com. <laughs> uh, it to a French company. They wouldn't sell that to me. So I bought perso.com for $15. Uh, and, um, and this is how we founded perso.com. And 11 months later, we released the software and the rest is history because literally the second day that we released, the, you know, it went just everything went up and uh, and then from there we start having lots of interest to acquire the company like very quickly and everybody was trying to big guys were trying to acquire these companies as quickly as possible before they became too big because they knew that it was going to be more expensive and so i got four acquisition offers um you know mm. after of a month and um and the only real tangible asset that i had was a nespresso machine uh you know everything <laughs> <laughs> Everything <laughs> was the code uh, that we had built around this technology, and you know, uh, th- and eight people. That's all we were. I mean, that's that's and eight people with two full-time employees. That's that's it. We ra- only raised eight hundred thousand dollars at that time. Um, but the most interesting um, proposal proposal came from uh, the financial markets. You know, Goldman Sachs um, was looking for a solution. I knew the guys there and um, and we reconnected and they saw what we have done in terms of privacy, in terms of security, and they needed something that is, um, you know, ultra secure, ultra compliant for the financial markets. And they made the best, best proposal. And, uh, and so uh, it was, uh, okay, we'll buy you, um, but we want you to continue to run it. So, and for me, it was an exit, uh, like mm. a typical, that you will find it was more of a continuum but in a, in a very different uh, application it wasn't a personal application as as, as perzo was it was <clears throat> sorry going to go into the um, financial uh, community uh, but i knew because i worked for seven years for thomson reuters so i knew that industry inside out and um, and i could really see how i can bring these two things together and um, and so Symphony at that time had this mission to interconnect the individuals in the market in a secure and compliant way so they can um, work with each other um, as if they were together. And, um, and that's what we did. And we built that technology, um, you know, iteration after iteration. And um, today, I would say that while we've achieved that vision, um, our mission has evolved into something even bigger which is, you know, how do we take all these interactions and then how do we make them into workflows and how do we automate those workflows to bring more efficiency to all of these uh, conversational workflows that exist in the market? So in a nutshell, we have become a network um, that enables conversational um, interactions to be more efficient. So that's really what Symphony has become. And it will certainly evolve over time. Um, but we will never lose, you know, the, 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 I would say the three pillars of the company, you know, security at the heart, compliance because we serve regulated markets, 
and obviously, um, you know, the openness of the platform that really truly enables, uh, you know, this constant evolution of, of our vision and obviously the company along with it. Can you can you give an example use case of how uh, sort of chat communication can evolve into a workflow and how you how you present that? Yeah, I mean, it's a, I'm sure it's, it will be a surprise to most of the listeners, but um, the financial markets um, is, is designed to transact. And so, you know, there is products that uh, are built and then, you know, for example, a stock that you buy for AT&T is a product that was built, you know, by, by the financial markets that is now fully commoditized and, and, and acquired and across a number of exchanges. Um, so that is one extreme of the product range. And the other extreme is a fundraising uh, or a debt raising that, uh, that you know, you have and you take six months to do. Okay. So anywhere between here to there, there is a whole slew of um, interactions that people have to build the products, to price the products, to market the products, to sell the products, to support the products, etc. It's extremely conversational. There is no like a catalog uh, that you go on Amazon to buy all these financial products. It doesn't exist. And uh, people keep some of their products themselves. They don't want to sell. But, you know, some people know those people and they will go and send a message to those people and say, hey, you know, if you are willing to sell that bond at this price, I have a buyer for you. Would you agree? And that is a use case. Right? You know, that broker is sending me that message and inciting me to do something. And while they do that to me, they go to a, a buyer and say to a buyer, would you buy this bond at this price if I were to find that for you? And, uh, and the buyer will say, yeah, I would, but maybe at that price. So this person, this broker is not making the market, right? You know, it's creating this, this transaction out of nothing uh, and pricing this instrument pretty much out of nothing because I haven't said what the price is and the other guy hasn't said what the price is. But, you know, now we're going to price it. And, uh, and you know, the guy is going to tell me, you know, I think I can sell it to you at this price. I say, no, 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 at that price. And that's how conversational workflows start. So this is very unstructured. Um, but behind it, there is a very important structure. And um, because we know what the instrument is, you know what, you know what the price is, you know what the bid is, what the ask is, you know, it's called the spread, and, uh, and we know what the terms are. So the financial instrument is described like a catalog, like you will, you know, if you buy a car, you have the car spec. Well, you have the same thing. You have a spec of a financial product too. And so suddenly what you can do from this, uh, what I call informal and structured conversation, turn it into a structured one. And so, so here comes the very interesting future, right? So if you can structure free text, you can automate that. Mm. And if you can automate it, you can integrate it with other systems through which the mm. price comes, the inventory comes, and et cetera. And so, so you have suddenly transformed something which is very manual, error-prone, um, expensive in time and um, and really not not efficient in many ways um, into something that can become truly uh, automated and then 
people can increase their margin because uh, they have to employ less people. Uh, you know, they can do more transactions because everything is is going through, you know, electronic means as opposed to humans in between, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's how the majority, when I say majority, I mean like massive majority of financial market contact every day. Hmm. You know, the, 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 that volume dwarfs what people buy and sell on exchanges in terms of the trading volume and the trading amount. And what are the, the sort of legacy systems that they're currently using or they, they were using before before Symphony came along to do um, to manage all these processes? A number of them. Um, there is uh, the phone. The the old phone is there. You know, the guy uh, was played by um, Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, Wolf of Wall Street. Well, of Wall Street, right? I mean, you remember how he was on the phone? That's Pick exactly up the what, phone. Pick up the yeah. phone. That's exactly what, what, you know, that's that's still happening. By the way, voice trading is still a very prominent way people trade, okay? That's one. Um, the second is Bloomberg. Bloomberg, uh, especially in the fixed income, in the, in the bond market, is, is pretty much uh, the dominant force. Uh, and then you have, um, you know, plenty of uh, tools left and right delivered by companies uh, who are catering to one particular region or one particular asset class in foreign exchange, etc. It's an extremely fragmented market and uh, very siloed. And it really is a fantastic opportunity for a company like uh, like Symphony because, you know, we are doing what Microsoft did uh, to operating system wars when they were incepted in 1970. <laughs> We have all, you know, we, we had all these different operating systems, and Microsoft came and, and became the standard, um, you know, through the basic compiler, you know, in, in IBM. Um, you know, we are doing a very similar uh, thing uh, by basically saying, oh, this workflow can move to Symphony. Oh, you can take this away from email and move that to Symphony. Uh, this company who is using this, it's just messaging, so let's move that to Symphony. So, you know, one by one, we are adding more and more and more of uh, those exchanges on Symphony, and and with that, the network grows. As the network grows, people want more, so the network effect kind of kicks in. And since it's an open platform, uh, you know, people want to go and uh, and build applications. So it's people depend now on Symphony to run their business. If we were to mm. go you know, they will truly suffer a massive outage of those transactions every day. Well, I guess you'll become impossible to live without by the time you've automated workflows. But do you, you, let's take the example of a broker, do you fundamentally change the role of what that broker means? Because as you say, they exist in specific silos and use cases now. But with the universality of Symphony, they almost become the like, the, the malleable, interconnector of all the information so actually you can get a position where a broker now becomes almost like an omnichannel broker within that role because he's got access to all the information and access to all the products through him and through symphony right so do you think those roles internally at banks will start to shift as they adopt your your product and what's required of these people yeah, yeah. i mean it has because um first of all right now those individuals who are serving those desks are way more technologically savvy than the their, I mean, say, not parents, but, you know, the people who were there before them 20 years ago. Um, you know, 20 years ago, you need somebody uh, like Leonardo DiCaprio to pick up the phone and, and try to sell, you know, a penny stock. 
today that's not how it works. Uh, and mm -hmm. so you, you need, we call them quants. Um, so quantitative uh, people. So in other words, people either with a mathematics or, or physics or computer science degree. And, and they are the ones who are, you know, really um, taking over, I should say, Wall Street today. And, um, and they are the ones who are uh, transforming us and transforming also their, their job role uh, in ways in which you couldn't even fathom it like even 10 years ago. And uh, yeah, the role has completely shifted to be more technical than, than I would say salesman uh, as it was before. And so the, the, the ambition for Symphony in terms of how big you think this can get, I mean, do you envisage this being used in nearly all business cases you can imagine? I mean, if there is an app store, I imagine as many use cases as can be invented can be deployed. Exactly. I mean, as long as it's conversational, I mean, obviously there are, you know, can we go into high frequency trading? I don't think so. You know, I don't think that that suits what, what we do. Um, but as long as there are two systems and systems can be represented by humans uh, or human and a system or a truly two information technology applications, uh, there is a messaging bus that needs to interconnect these, these systems. And uh, that messaging bus has to have a certain number of characteristics. Um, and the most important characteristic, it, it needs to interconnect everyone. And, uh, and, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, we are the internet, if you want, of this, 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 this community. And because we interconnect not only you and I together, but you and I and all the information systems we depend on uh, in order to do our job daily. So, so future in this context is very bright. And, and I really feel, feel very bullish about uh, the company's future and prospect. And it's just the beginning. People started to, oh, my God, oh, I, I'm doing this bond trading application. Actually, I don't have to do this. I can do it on Symfony. And I instead of paying so much, you know, to trade this bond where, you know, my margin is, uh, you know, being shrunk uh, by all these competitors, I can actually do it on Symfony, still keep the same margin, but the margin will be higher because I don't have to spend so much, you know, on technology to do that. And so um, in, in that context, uh, the use cases in capital markets is, is just, you know, just, I don't want to say it's infinite because it's never the case. Uh, mm -hmm. But you have, you know, the corporate banking, then you have private wealth management, then you have the retail. And, uh, and, and Oli, you guys are talking to your bankers time to time, and, you know, they are pushing information to you, and you make some investment decisions. Um, these are all transactions that need a messaging bus okay and uh and and you know it is not a chat messaging bus per se but it is an xml pipe and uh, mm. and so xml pipe is what we do um and the more we do that and the more it's going to come our way and so that is in this virtual circle that uh that we've embarked upon um you know in the next phase of symphony now and presumably on a, on a personal level you're given the, the, the risk you wanted to avoid with your, your family at the start by, by founding <laughs> the company, um, you're actually in a, a pretty pretty good position. You're doing, you're creating something and building something that, that you believe in and then satisfying uh, yourself on that level, but also because the acquisition has already taken place, um, you sort of, you've got that, that level of security. You know, that is true. Um... I, I, you know, you we can get personal if, if you guys want, and and I, I love to share, you know, with the listeners uh, what at least I am thinking. You know, I'm just one of the many founders in the world, but um, 
you know, as an individual, we all seek something out. I mean, you know, I think as a founder, you have an idea and, and you want to you want to get it through, and uh, and you want to be recognized for for that. And uh, and I would say, you know, comfortably today, if I were to die tomorrow, and and you know, look back to what I have achieved, um, I won't regret anything. I've done everything that I think I have dreamed about. Um, and uh, I've done the exit. Uh, I've done. Uh, I've changed the course of <laughs> uh, technical history in in some ways. I'm not alone, but certainly I contributed to that. And um, I don't have to prove to myself. I think that's the most important thing. What I am worthy of. Uh, mm. you know, there is obviously, you know, what people judge you. Um, but I think at the end, we are the worst judge of ourselves. And um, I'm no longer in this universe in which I'm telling to myself I'm, I can do better, you know. Of course I can do better, but I will be okay with what I have. That's what I'm trying to say. So I feel fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel, in this context, satisfied. Um, second thing I want to say is that I'm not happy. Um, actually, I have given up on happiness because I don't know how to define it. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I can only define happiness by the absence of it. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, but, you know, I, I look for joy when I can. I look for pleasure when I can. I look for fulfillment. Um, I've written off the notion of, uh, you know, pursuit of happiness. Uh, I think it is in the U.S. constitutions even. Um, I don't think, I think it's it's uh, it's not applicable to me because the happiness is not a constant. Um, you know, uh, it doesn't exist as you reach it and you can keep it. Maybe, maybe the, the Buddhist monks can do it. Uh, but they live in an absence of any pleasure. So I'm not seeing that, you know, uh, fulfill, fulfill my own dreams. I want pleasure in life. So um, <clears throat> I can tell you as a founder that you are, you know, 99% unhappy and 1% unhappy. It's, it's, uh, it's an extremely complex uh, situation you do on an individual basis because you have all this... Um, problems that come to your way and, and you feel that the weight is on your shoulders and it's just never off. You know, uh, I've been now doing this job for eight and a half years, um, you know, Perso and Symphony, and I did take time off. I'm not going to say I didn't, but I never took, mm. I was never on vacation. Uh, and so um, the the thing that turns into your brain is extremely taxing. Um, and and you, need to, uh, you need to know that uh, and you need to understand how you cope with that because we are all different. We are sensitive to those constraints and those stresses that we perceive are, are very different. And um, and for me, the biggest growth has been how do I manage that? Now, how do I manage the, the fear of letting people down? How do mm-hmm. I manage the friend that I have hired that I have to fire because actually he's not he's not meeting the, the expectations? How do I manage uh, the expectation of investors who want to exit, but we still have a long way to go? And uh, and so those things are are very heavy, heavy burden on you. And uh, and so if you were to ask me, David, what's next after Symphony? I would say rest. <laughs> mm. <laughs> At your heart, driving all of this, because where where I differentiate you from some some entrepreneurs is some do chase an exit and they don't mind the business they're in but for you this company's come on the back of a lifetime of work which is it fair to say your magnus ops is is 
communication and solving this issue of communication around the world as it continues to transform with technology, which you know, technology is always changing. And, and I can't imagine your work will ever feel done in the sense that that seems like it's your through line. And it is exactly the case. Um, I have um, a testimonial about that I want to share with you. Um, you know, I, I was a rising star at Microsoft um, and doing really well. And, um, and at that time, there was a moment I screwed things up um, and, uh, and I was really doubting about myself and whether I should continue to do RTC or do something else. I went to see Brian Valentine. At that time, Brian Valentine um, was um, running Windows. Um, you know, can you imagine 5,000 people and, uh, and the weight of uh, the world's most popular operating system? So uh, I said, Brian, look, you know, this is going on. I'm, I'm happy. Um, and uh, maybe I should do something else. And uh, but, but what do you think? He said, David, you know, you have to think about it in two ways. One is, what are you after? You know, are you after like a general professional general manager? He said, where I put you now in, in charge of Xbox and, and you, you run Xbox for four years. And then I put you in charge of uh, PowerPoint and you run PowerPoint for four years. And, and voila, and you could go in that because, you know, your trade is you don't care about the technology. What you do, you care about, you know, the outcome of what you work on as opposed to the, the topic that, that you are attached to. Or you are the communications guy. Who are you? And, uh, and I said, I'm a communications guy because we are not done yet. And, uh, and, and so that's when I made a decision to, to your point, Ed, um, to be loyal to, to that vision that uh, I experienced when I was nine years old. I think um, we've got we've got to a hard stop, and that seems like a. There are so many more questions that we both want to ask. I think, but it seems like an appropriate point uh, to end on. Um, it's been absolutely fascinating, David. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed this or any of our other conversations, we'd love to get your feedback. Our Twitter handle is at the Startup Mike M I C, or get us an email oliored at startupmicrodose.com. If you're feeling particularly generous of spirit, a review on iTunes would go a long way to ensuring that we can continue to bring you these conversations. Finally, this recording could not have happened without the support of Founders Factory backed Entail. Their podcasting software and studio in the Daily Mail building, London, are as ever the unassuming stars of our show. Check out entail.co. And thank you for listening. Goodbye.